All right. Um, I started a class this last week dealing with the subject of drinking, and it had totally slipped my mind that we were actually going to have a guest speaker on Wednesday night who was going to be talking about drinking. And so uh, we're going to have a big dose of drinking, no pun intended. But uh, I did want to go through these specific arguments that have been made because on June the 12th, Focus Press in their podcast, which they call Think Deeper, they were dealing with the subject, is drinking a sin? They also dealt with marijuana. And they put out some material that has really rocked the brotherhood because they suggested that social drinking is not a wrong thing. They even suggested that use of marijuana is not a wrong thing. And so I went through every argument that they made on this podcast, and I have listed them for us to go through. Now, John uh, Mitchell on Wednesday night covered some of these, but um, just coincidentally not um, going through their arguments per se. And so last week I started it. We did not get to them all, and my PowerPoint for some reason was I don't know what happened if I sent it before it was saved, but anyway, it was kind of a mess last week, so we did not use it. I think it is straightened out uh, now. The first argument they made is they said social drinking is not a sin or drinking alcohol in small quantities is not a sin, but it is unwise. And we notice this passage. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, wherefore do not be unwise. Now when the Lord says, don't do something, and you do it anyway, what is the definition of that? That is called sin. When the Lord says to do something and you do not do it, that is a sin. He says, do not be unwise. But they said to drink is, it's unwise, but they said it's not a sin. And so they've got a contradiction. The second thing that they argued is that Jesus actually turned water into alcoholic wine. And they said weddings at that time always used alcoholic wine. We dealt with the uh, fact first that they have no way of knowing that. Just like today, we could not say that all weddings use alcoholic wine. Many of them do, but we certainly couldn't say all. And we also pointed out the fact that the word for alcohol can be used or is used in a generic sense. Sometimes it's alcoholic, sometimes it is not alcoholic, and you have to look at the context to determine it. We looked at one that is clearly alcoholic, and that is Proverbs 23 and verse 1. Look not on the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Clearly, alcoholic wine. But there's also non-alcoholic. Isaiah 16 and verse 10, In the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting, as the treader shall tread out no wine in the presses. And so they're stomping on the grapes with their feet and they're pressing it and yet it's already called wine. At that point, clearly, it is not alcoholic. And so just because you see the word wine does not mean that it is going to be alcoholic wine. The idea that Jesus made alcoholic wine for people who had, according to the text, already well drunk. So Jesus took people who had well drunk 
And then he made, according to John 2.10, another 120 to 160 gallons of alcoholic wine. That is ridiculous. All right, here's the third one we talked about. They said the recreational consumption of beverage in the privacy of one's own home is acceptable to God. So if you want to drink it in the privacy of your home, that's all right. You can do that. How does that mesh with the previous argument? They just said Jesus did it at a wedding feast, and so there's a large gathering and everybody's there and he made it. But if you want to do it in the privacy of your own home, then that's okay. See, when people start trying to make arguments to defend something like this, they're all over the place. They make arguments that contradict themselves. But 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is seeking to devour you. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this because we looked at it last week. Number four, they said we are not condoning that kids go out and drink a ton. So they said, you know, we're arguing that it's not sinful, it's unwise, so kids don't rush out and drink based on our our recommendation here. But what they've just told kids is it's not wrong to do. Just, you know, just don't do it. Really, they have given it an endorsement. And, of course, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. If this is unwise, if it's going to get you in trouble, run from it. Not, it's okay to do it in small quantities. All right, here's the next one, and I think this is where we were when the time ran out. They said that the consumption of alcohol is a Romans 14 issue, and it's only a sin if it becomes a stumbling block to others. Now, when you refer to something being a Romans 14 issue, if you're familiar with Romans 14, Romans 14 is dealing with the fact that some things are sin because they violate your conscience, or they might be a sin because you are doing something that's not inherently wrong, but it causes a brother to sin and violate his conscience. And the example that he talks about is eating meat offered to idols. And so Paul argues in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you eat meat that's been offered to an idol and then they go sell it in the marketplace, we know that an idol is nothing. You're just eating a piece of meat. But somebody else might think, oh, I can't eat that meat. That was offered to an idol. He says it's not inherently wrong, but if you do it and you violate your conscience, that is wrong. Some people try to put drinking into this category because they say, now, if this causes your brother to stumble, then you should not do it. I would ask this question. Did Jesus cause the people in John chapter 2 to stumble? You've got a whole bunch of people there who had well drunk, and he makes 150 gallons of alcoholic wine for people who had already finished off the first round of alcoholic wine. Did he cause these people to stumble? Well, you would certainly think out of all the people there, at least one of them would have stumbled because of this. See, it's it's a fallacious argument. Romans 14 is dealing with things that are matters of conscience, not things that are matters of sin. Their argument would be equivalent to saying this. It's okay to steal as long as it doesn't offend your conscience and it doesn't make your brother stumble. It's okay to look at pornography as long as it doesn't bother your conscience or make your brother stumble. Romans 14, 
It's okay to commit adultery as long as it doesn't violate your conscience or cause your brother to stumble. Romans 14. See, these are not Romans 14 issues. Romans 14 is not talking about things that are inherently wrong, that are sinful things to do. Drinking is sinful. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine. Literally, in the Greek, it says, Do not begin the process of getting drunk with wine. Why? Because it is an inceptive verb. An inceptive verb marks the process of beginning something. Do not begin the process of getting drunk with wine. So, I would ask this question. At what point does a person begin to get drunk with wine? What do you think? When do you begin to get drunk with wine? When you take your first drink, you have violated this passage in which you have begun to get drunk with wine. Now, I have heard people scoff at this for years and say, there's no such thing as degrees of drunkenness. The Bible doesn't teach degrees of drunkenness. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible does teach the degrees of drunkenness. Science teaches degrees of drunkenness. As early as the 1960s, the Journal of American, uh, the American Medical Association said there is no minimum BAC, blood alco alcohol concentration, that can be set in which there's absolutely no effect. What did they mean? Even if you take one small drink, it affects you to some degree. You say, well, that was the 1960s. What did we know in the 1960s? Well, in May 3rd, 2000, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association said, although legal limits for BAC blood alcohol content have been set in most states, impairment in driving skills can occur in almost any amount. What does that mean? When you take your first drink, the American Medical Association says, you've impaired yourself some way. Now, John actually cited this on Wednesday night, and he actually got it out of um, the book that I did on moral issues a few years ago. There used to be a website, I don't know if it's still there or not, but the University of Oklahoma used to have a website in which you could go and you could just play with different figures. You could put in different drinks and different uh, length of time that you were going to drink it and different body weights. And um, I weighed, at, I haven't been able to weigh in like, four years because it's hard to weigh when you're in a wheelchair, but before my accident, I weighed about 160 pounds. So I went and I played with the weights for 160 pound male. And so I played with it and I put in first 160 pound person and I said, I'm going to drink one drink, five ounces. That's not very much, is it? Five ounces, very small drink. And I said, fortified dessert wine. We're talking about a very weak drink and a small drink, but I'm going to chug it. And it said it would put me at 0 .05, just keep that in your mind, I'll tell you what that means in a minute, 0 .05 BAC, blood alcohol content. Then I played with it again. I said 160 pound man, one drink, 12 ounces, that'd be the size of a can, right? Isn't a normal can 12 ounces? So one can and I put in reduced alcohol beer, not even a regular beer, reduced alcohol, the really weak stuff. 
and I said, I'm going to sip it over a one-hour period. That put me at 0 0.02. What could you do that is less than one beer that is a reduced alcohol beer, and you're going to sip it over one hour? Not talking about chugging it. We're not even talking about a regular beer. That put me at 0 0.02. This is what it said, at point zero two, you can go to stopimpaireddriving.org and it tells you the effects at different levels, um, or there are several of them out there. I haven't checked to see if that one's still active, but there are several of them like this out there. At point zero two, you begin to have some loss of judgment, relaxation, slight body warmth, altered mood, decline in visual functions, that is when you're seeing rapidly moving objects, you, your brain doesn't process it as, as well. Decline in ability to perform two tasks at the same time. Now think about this, if you're driving and you are seeing, having a problem with rapidly moving objects, is that going to be difficult? What if it's nighttime? Is this going to be a problem? This is point zero two. This is not even what uh, most states would consider legally drunk. But people say they're not degrees of drunkenness. If there's no such thing as degrees of drunkenness, where we call it one drink drunk, then why do most states make you blow into a breathalyzer and they come back and say, you're point zero two, point zero three, point zero five? What is that? is degrees of drunkenness. That is, you have been affected this much, this much, this much, or this much. I found an article a few years ago dated March 24th of 2017. It was by the governor of Utah. He had just signed a bill into law that lowered the blood alcohol content to 0 0.05. And it was higher than that, but they made it 0 0.05. The American Beverage Institute, the people who sell liquor, they said this, we don't like that. 0 0.05 is too low. And the reason they said that is they argued a 120-pound woman can reach 0 0.05 with a little more than one drink. So a 120-pound woman drinks one, one beer, and she's going to be at that level. So this is ridiculous. You can't set this as the drunk driving level. But some public health experts have pushed for stricter limits, and as recently as 2016, the National Transportation, Transportation Safety Board recommended that all states drop to point zero five. Now, you see point zero 0.05, does this have a laser on it? Yeah, okay. Point zero 0.05, at this point, you are beyond eye movement control, steadiness, your emergency response, coordination. You see at point zero 0.05, you already have all of these things that are taking place. One reduced alcohol beer has you having divided attention, reaction time. I would ask this. At what point, this is one reduced alcohol beer over one hour, if they say social drinking is okay as long as you don't get drunk, how much can you drink? Based on this information, how much could you drink? I guess if you got one of these communion cups and you had a reduced alcohol beer 
and you took one sip, one sip, it would be very, very minimal and you might not be able to notice it. Is that, have you ever known anyone who would social drink that way? Could you imagine going to a wedding and they have open bar, reduced alcohol bearance in the little communion cups? It's ridiculous, isn't it? All right, Cleet. Do they define drunkenness in their video? They did not define drunkenness in the video. What they say is each person has to know his limits. So what they would say is that varies from person to person and you have to know your limits. Last week we talked about the fact, how do you know your limits? And someone in the audience said, that means you have to have crossed it at least once so that you can know your limits. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveling, drinking parties. The New King James says, What is a drinking party? According to Richard Trench synonyms of the New Testament, he said this Greek word that's been translated as drinking parties means the drinking bout, the banquet, the symposium, not of necessity, excessive, but giving opportunity for excess. In other words, it's wrong to go to a place and participate in a function, not where you're necessarily drinking excessively, but where there would be an opportunity for you to do that. The Bible says it's wrong to be hanging out in that location. How about that? Let's go to the next one here. Number six, they said this. Ah, uh, you knew this one was going to be in here, right? They argue this. Well, Paul said that uh, Timothy should drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. Brad Harab, who is the director of Focus Press, then came back and he defended them for saying this. So Brad jumped on board and, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good argument. 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, drink no longer water only, but drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. Number one, we don't know if it's alcoholic or not alcoholic. Um, number two, John uh, Mitchell made the argument on Wednesday night. It's interesting that he had to tell him to do this. If they drank alcoholic wine on a regular basis, why did Paul say, Timothy, you need to drink some alcoholic wine for your stomach's sake, if it is alcoholic wine? I would point this out too. If it's alcoholic wine, then you would be talking about something that would be akin to someone with stomach conditions. If you've got a stomach condition today, what would you drink? What would you take if your stomach bothered you today? Mylanta. Um, Pepto-Bismol. Um, it would be something different, right? They didn't have Pepto-Bismol dur during that point in time. Um, and so it would be a very different argument. Um, in fact, um, we could say, what's the organization Mothers Against uh, Drunk Drivers? They'd have had to have, they call it MAD. I guess it would have had to, to be MAP, Mothers Against Pepto-Bismol or something like that. Um, see, it's not the same. The Bible's indicating to use this as a medicine. That's a different thing. I don't know why anyone would turn to that passage in order to defend social drinking because he's talking about it as a use of medicine. Let me go to the next one here because I'm running out of time. Number seven, Proverbs 31, four through seven, they said provides license. Oh, let's see here, I misspelled that. That says arguments. It should be arguments. 
in defense of social. Did they all say that? They all say that. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, let's see. I was not drinking when I did it. <laughs> all right. Proverbs chapter 7, they argued this. 31 through uh, 4 through 7, they said, provides license for recreational drinking. This is what it says. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. It's not for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all afflicted. And so what this says is kings don't drink alcoholic beverages. Uh, lawmakers don't drink alcoholic beverages. Why? Because it messes with your judgment. It's going to affect your thinking. You're in a very important position, a very important place. A lot of people believe that Solomon wrote this to his son, who was King Rehoboam. So Solomon's writing to his son, don't do these things. You're a king, man. Don't drink alcohol. It's going to affect your judgment. Well, why would they turn here to get justification for alcohol? What does he say? Give strong drink to those who are perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Now, uh, John Mitchell made an argument on this that's a little bit different from my view, and that is he was arguing that there is no license for drinking here. I believe that this would be akin to medicine. Once again, give strong drink to those who are perishing. So here's a person who's dying, a person who's suffering. What do we give today to someone who is dying, someone who is suffering? Painkiller, morphine. Some, did they have morphine? Did they have a morphine drip that they could insert into them and the person could push the button and get a little more, more morphine? No. Because, and because of that, what would you do to a person who is dying and suffering? You, you would do this again. It's in the same category as 1 Timothy 5.23. This is medicinal. Today, if a person goes to uh, Cookville Regional Medical Center and they're dying and they're suffering and um, the doctor comes in with some bourbon and gives it to them and says, here, chug on this every time you get to hurting, we're going to say, there's a problem. See, it's different now. But that's what he's talking about here. Let me go to the next one. They would say the next argument in defense of social drinking they said, why would they accuse Jesus of being a drunk? Wouldn't he had to have been drinking? Something led them to call him that. So they said they wouldn't have called him a drunk if he didn't drink at all. That's ridiculous. Um, why is that? Why would that be ridiculous? And Luke chapter 7, 33 and 34, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said that he has a demon. What evidence was there that John had a demon? They totally concocted that. It came out of nowhere. In fact, if you look at many of the false accusations of the Bible, you remember Jezebel concocted an accusation against Naboth so she could have his vineyard, have him put to death. She said he blasphemed God. Was there any evidence he blasphemed God? Not a bit. She totally made it up. Job's friends said that he plowed iniquity and he sowed wickedness, Job 4 and verse 8. Was there any evidence of that? Not one shred. They made it up. Potiphar's wife, what did she say about Joseph? 
He tried to make me lie with him. He was trying to rape me. Was there any evidence that Joseph tried to... Could, what, if they made, what if somebody made this argument? Well, she wouldn't have said that if he hadn't done something. He must have grabbed her. He must have tried to kiss her. He must have done something for her to make that accusation. He did nothing, and yet she made this accusation. This is as weak of argument as I have ever heard. Here's the next one. This one is so ridiculous. They said eating Chick-fil-A five times per week is equivalent of nicotine vaping in the context of health. That is, they said, they also, they talked about marijuana, they talked about vaping, they talked about drinking, and they said, if you eat Chick-fil-A five times a week, then that's the same effect as uh, vaping. First, that's ridiculous. Do you like the little cow I did in the grave here? Um, sometimes my Photoshop gets the best of me here. And again, we had mothers against drunk, drunk drivings. I guess we're going to have to have, um, what would that be? M-A-N, mothers against nuggets now. We're going to have to have that one. The Bible doesn't warn against eating chicken. Eating chicken nuggets doesn't cause uh, traffic fatalities. Eating nuggets doesn't cause domestic abuse and, and divorce. Now, vaping, does vaping cause those things? Here's the fact of the matter. I read an article about this long ago. What we are being told right now is we don't really know the effects of vaping. It still hasn't been around that long. We don't know. Back in the early days of smoking cigarettes, people did it. And in fact, if you search online, you can find advertisements from the 50s and 60s where doctors were endorsing various brands of cigarettes. They said, this one's good for you. I'll smoke a camel. It's good for you. It's not. We look back and we say it was a huge mistake. That's where vaping is now. Let's see. I'm almost out of time. Number 10. They said this. Oh, what happened to it? Number 10. Okay. I'm not sure a little recreational marijuana use is a sin. That was their statement. I'm just shocked. That's just ridiculous. Uh, let me go to the next one. Paul's requiring deacons not to be given to much wine implies recreational drinking can be done in moderation. So elders can't drink any wine. Deacons can drink some wine. They've just got to do it in moderation. So the average person, he can drink as long as he does it in moderation. This is an argument called implied consent. This doesn't say deacons can drink a little wine. This would be the understanding that a warning against doing something ex excessively means it's okay to do it in a small amount. That's their argument here. The Bible never says that. You could go through some other passages just to show the ridiculousness of this. Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, Do not be overmuch wicked. That is, don't be overly wicked. Does that imply you can be a little bit wicked? That's their argument. In James 1.21, lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. So you can keep some wickedness, fill it to the rim, just don't let it overflow. That's their argument. That is the argument. And John made a very good point on Wednesday night, and that is the way this is laid out, the word much not be given to much wine, is actually an adverb. It's not an adjective modifying wine. It is an adverb being 
modifying being given to. So don't be overly given to wine. That is, don't be a person who really wants wine. Don't be that kind of person. All right, here is the next one that I'm going to mention, and I'm out of time here, but drinking has health benefits. They didn't make this argument, but I wanted to point it out because a lot of people do. Drinking has health benefits. And they will refer to a study from several years ago that says that there is a substance called resveratrol that is in wine, and that if you drink it, it's actually good for your heart. What they don't point out is regular grape juice has resveratrol in it in higher quantities than alcoholic wine. And the, uh, a cardiologist named Martha Grogan from the Mayo Clinic, she says that the negative effects of drinking alcoholic beverages far outweigh the positive effects that you can get. Let me see. I know we're out of time here. Uh, they had no way to prevent fermentation in Bible times. John mentioned this uh, the other night. They had several, boiling, sulfur, cooling, filtration, and he gave you quotes uh, that teach that. And, um, okay, we will stop there. But uh, I think Mindy sent out my notes about this to everybody, so if you want them, they have been emailed out, and you can use them. And John provided his PowerPoint as well, and you can have my PowerPoint too if you want it. So thank you very much. Appreciate it.